Okay, good morning everyone and I pray as always that the morning's message might be a blessing to you and uh, the text definitely before us is an important one to consider. I felt as if last week, although the message itself was long uh, and I do apologise, well I don't apologise because I really could have gone a lot longer, um, but I still felt it was incomplete. So um, that was the seventh message I've, I've done with regards to uh, Bible versions, a topic that is so controversial that you would luck, be lucky to find one church in a thousand that actually ever speak about it or bring it up. And yet it is the elephant in the room always, how there could be so many versions of what God said. And we're dealing with the reasons why we hold to the authorised version of the Bible, the King James version of the Bible, believing that it is in every way the perfect word of God for the English-speaking people. Controversial? You bet, you bet. Even among independent Baptist churches who have forgotten why they use it, it is controversial. And so this is 7.5. So that was the seventh message was last week. This is because I only promised you eight messages, didn't I? It was eight messages, so I'm only going to do eight messages, all right? This is 7.5, so this is just tack it on to the end of the last one. And the title of the message this morning is simply, Modern Versions Are Another Gospel. Modern Versions Are Another Gospel. And if you don't get that after the sermon this morning, you'll never get it. You'll never pick it up. So the sermon this morning is a little... It's a bit academic more than anything else, but I, I do pray that you'll bear with me and I pray that there will be enough there to alert you to the significance of this. The text that we read was 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 4, and I found some things in there very, very interesting. It says there, speaks about um, being jealous over you with a godly jealousy. This is the jealousy that God has for you. I had, uh, I had a granddaughter born last night and that's why I've got the little pink thing in my pocket here and I have to tell you that I'm quite jealous of her and if anybody was to come and was to turn her away from the way everlasting if there was anybody that I would be able to lay my hands on that would actually ever turn her away from or, or put danger to her I would be I would be quite angry if anybody was to lie to her, to coax her into doing something that was going to be away from her will, I would be furious. I am jealous over her with a godly jealousy. This is the jealousy that God has for his children. And what we have before us is 400 different ways of, that are not part of the ways of God. And this is something that you're going to be seeing this morning. Paul goes on saying, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I find that astounding also. It's such a simple simplicity with regards to God spoke, he wrote, he gave, he promised to preserve and he preserved. And he is not limited by language. The author of language should not be expected to be limited by language, not at all. This is simple. But to make the assumption that 400 different versions of what God said could all say the same thing is a form of madness in a large way. That they have been beguiled. There's been a subtlety that's gone on among Christians that they have 
forgotten the right ways of the Lord and to think carefully and properly. They could all indeed be in error. I mentioned that last week. They can all be in error, logically thinking. I mean, can you think about that? All the gods that the people believe today, they could all be false gods, couldn't they? But they can't all be true gods because they all contradict. And we've got this exact same thing happening with modern versions of the Bible. Lest your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We're going to be looking this morning at another Jesus. We're going to be talking about this morning about another spirit. And we're going to be talking about another gospel. That's also found in this text. There is a wonderful simplicity to the knowledge of the Lord. And this is the blessing that we have. Go down in, your, in that passage there. You're in Second Corinthians chapter 11. Go down, to verse, go down to verse 12. Just go down to verse 12 because I want to show you something. Oh, I didn't get those. Yeah, could you get them? Would you be able to do that? Thank you. It's in a green bag, just like that one. Thank you. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 to 15. Paul writes there saying, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is, of, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. There seems to be something really strange with Christians today, even though we've got the warnings right throughout Scripture, even though 26 out of the 27 books of the New Testament warn against false teachers, false prophets, and everything like that coming in. No less than 26 of the 27. There's only one that doesn't mention anything with regards to false teaching or false teachers, and that's Philemon, the book of Philemon. That's the only one. Every other one warns and warns and warns and warns. You get the impression that we should be warned, maybe? Do you reckon that being warned, that there might be because there is a danger? God is jealous over us with a godly jealousy and it would stand to reason that he would warn his children. And the interesting thing about this is that these ministers don't come to you, as I mentioned last week, Satan doesn't wear red pyjamas. And he doesn't have little horns on his head. And he doesn't have a big tail. And he doesn't have fangs. And he doesn't look ugly. You know, unlike Sam Smith. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that one in there. Um, it's interesting because what I find really interesting is Satan comes in as an angel of light. He is attractive. He is appealing. He is charismatic. He will be an individual who will in every way draw the world to him he will draw the world to him he's not ugly he's not ugly and this is really fascinating an angel of light gives the appearance of righteousness the appearance of righteousness but he's not righteous i've got a handful of bibles here well i've got a handful of books here and they say something on them so that says holy bible this one here says Holy Bible. It's different to this one. Somehow it's still holy. 
It's at least 20% different. Why 20%? Copyright. Copyright. And this one. This is the bad news for modern man. Oh, sorry, good news translation. That's Holy Bible, it says on there. That's another one here. Hang on, a couple more. This one here is the Holman Christian Standard Bible. What does it say? Holy. This is the NRSV. What does that say? Holy. There's this one. American Standard Bible. What does it say? Holy Bible. Hang on, hang on, I'm not finished. Oh, they're dusty because I don't read them. <laughs> oh, this is my Bible. It doesn't say holy on it and just as well. It's the NIV. Um, <laughs> sorry. That was my first ever Bible, you can sort of tell. It's my first ever Bible, that one, and bring, I brought that out of interest to show you something a little bit later on. They all say Holy. The word holy turns up in the Bible 654 times. Holy and holiness appear 654 times in the Bible. So it's not difficult for you to do the research on what holy and holiness actually mean. Very easy to know what it means by holy and holiness. And the reality is that it means like God, perfect, without spot, without error, absolutely well above any man could possibly be apart from Christ. It is perfect. If a book is going to be called a holy book and that is the only reference by which it can be called is perfect. And yet not a single, it's interesting because not a single person in the world believes any of these versions of the Bible are actually holy. Nobody believes that. Not even the people who wrote them. They don't even believe that this is a holy Bible. They don't believe it. They tell you that they don't believe it. They believe that it's got errors in it. But we keep improving it somehow, some way. And yet they still refer to it as holy. Satan is an angel of light. He gives the appearance of holiness. But he is anything but holy. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13, the last of the five books of Moses, it's the fifth book in your Bible, Deuteronomy meaning the second reading of the law is what that refers to, it's the second time Moses brings the law of God to the people, why is that? Well because these are now the children of Israel, all the others had died in the wilderness and these are now the children of those who had died in the wilderness. We know something instinctively with regards to... It's chapter 13, incidentally. Deuteronomy chapter 13. The Bible tells us the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet. Yes? A true prophet is simply one who, when he says what he says, those things come to pass. They are meant to be the signature of a true prophet. But there's another condition... There's another condition that's not often recognised or seen because occasionally, by accident sometimes, those things still come to pass. But there's another parameter and it's there in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 1. Moses there writes, he says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass... 
whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Beloved, each and every one of these modern translations are another gospel. Each and every one of them are getting you to follow another God, another leader of this world, you ha- uh, one that you have not known, and it is not the Lord. It is not the Lord. God is proving you whether you will love him or whether you will not love him. He's holding that above you at this time. And that's a way of being able to know whether it's a false prophet or a true prophet. You may see that there is an appearance of light in these. They all say that they are holy and yet they lead vulnerable vulnerable men astray to another gospel. Not another, just another gospel, another spirit, even another Jesus. Now, I want you to note something important that this sermon is not going to be... uh, There's no way known I could exhaust this. This is literally what I'm going to be going through today is just the tip of the iceberg. Literally the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Everything else might be underwater, but it's up to you to look it up. Look it up now. As I go through this, all the scripture references are in your newsletters. Okay, they're all there. I'm going to be posting the sermon itself, the notes, onto the internet, so you can follow those through. But and they are all this. All the scripture references are in line with the sermon itself. Okay, so you'll be able to follow on directly with regards to that. There's a lot to go through. I'll give you one example. The entire doctrine of Christology, that is the study of the Lord Jesus Christ, is changed by the smorgasbord of alterations that we see in modern translations. And you're going to have to bear with me with this because I'm not going to stop and study each one. I am literally just going to be speaking it, tell you the change and then move on. Okay? The omnipresence of Christ is denied in John 3.13. The text which is in heaven is deleted. Jesus could be here, but also in heaven. That text is deleted in John 3.13. The brokenness of Christ is denied in 1 Corinthians 11.24. The word broken, deleted, that he was broken for us, is deleted. The unworthiness of the communion of Christ is denied in 1 Corinthians 11.29. Unworthily is deleted. In other words, those who eat and drink of the cup unworthily. The word unworthily is deleted in all modern translations. The perfect integrity of Christ is denied in John 7, 8. I'm not going to be going through it like this all the way through, so you can, it's just this portion, because I can't go into the depth of this. The word yet is deleted. Remember when his brethren say to him, you should go up to the feast. No man that wants himself known would hide himself, go to the feast. And Jesus says, I go not up yet unto the feast. The word yet is deleted. Why is that important? Because Jesus goes to the feast. The text just says in the modern translations, I go not up to this feast. But he goes up to the feast. What happens to the integrity of Christ? These considerations are not given here. The perfect sinlessness of Christ is denied with the switching of a singular pronoun to the plural. The word her is changed to there. So when they're presenting the Lord Jesus Christ, they present as if the Lord Jesus Christ requires purification. But it's not Jesus that requires purification. It's her. It's Mary that requires the purification. They change her to there. 
their purification. The very purpose of the mission of the coming of Christ is denied with the entire text of Matthew 18, 11, deleted. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Deleted in modern translations. His virgin birth is denied in many modern versions. Matthew 1, 25, the words firstborn is deleted. Is deleted in modern translations. The famous prophecy concerning the virgin birth or the virgin that shall conceive in Isaiah 7.14, almost every modern version has changed the word virgin to young woman. Ask a sign, ask a sign, ask a sign as much as in the heavens above or in the earth below, below. Ask a miracle, a miracle of miracles. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Well, the Lord will give you a sign. A young woman's going to have a baby. My daughter-in-law just had a baby. I mean, it's had to be something that has never been seen before, a sign. No, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That is a sign. That is a miracle. Denied in modern translations. Young lady's going to have a baby, as if that's a sign. His bodily resurrection is denied in Luke 24, 6, with he is not here, but he's risen, deleted in the Greek text and in the footnotes of some of the versions. So too the entirety of Luke 24, 12, where Peter ran to the sepulchre, seeing the linen clothes laid by themselves. That's removed in the same way, in the same versions. His bodily appearance after his resurrection to his disciples is denied in Luke 24, 40. The entire verse called into question by either direct omission or deletion in the footnotes of several modern versions. This is where it says, and when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Deleted. So now he's just some sort of a Gnostic spirit. He's not physically present. No doubt I could go on and on and on, but I haven't made any sleeping arrangements for you all. Another Jesus. For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached. Christology that I just mentioned, just in those verses themselves, is removed completely. But is it another Jesus? Is there a replacement theology going on with respect to Christ? And there is. There is a subtle replacement of Jesus in modern versions that is not readily apparent, where his name or references to him are removed and replaced in a manner that is more closely resembling someone else. We go on with this study this morning, you're going to find references to Jesus as Lord removed. You're going to see areas where Jesus is worshipped removed. You're going to see the literal, um, um, there'll be a literal denial of his sacrificial atonement for our sins. His deity is going to be also removed and questioned in modern versions. But this first point is going to introduce an evident replacement, another Jesus. There's another Jesus, another Christ, who the modern versions of the Bible seem to be representing. Let me bring this forward to you. An editor with InterVarsity Press observed with interest some of the occultic writings. He says this, quote, I have long had a theory that the far out, the weird and strange writers who make themselves out to be God or the God capitalize every other word or so. Manuscripts I have received as an editor bear this out. What's he referring to? There's another Dr. Lewis Talbot who also noticed that occultics, you, occultists use pronouns 
and select words that are often spelt with a capital. They use a capital. Words like he is a capital when it refers to this coming one. Him is capitalised when it refers to this coming one. The one, capital O, is always referred to and the way, with a capital W, is referred to in the New Age and occultic writings of the world. The New Age refers to this coming one, with a capital O, as well as capitalising all the pronouns exclusively referring to this same one who's expected to come. There's a you guys might not be aware of this because, you know, you're all so pure and perfect Christians. But, oh, I'm sorry, the sarcasm. My wife hates sarcasm. <laughs> Those of you who have had a background in the New Age would be aware of this. Those of you who have had a background in occultic uh, behaviour would be aware of this if you've read any of the writings of their books. They're also waiting for somebody. They're also waiting for a coming one. They're also waiting for him, capital H, always referred to as a capital, because he is the way with a capital W. There's an individual who the New Age is looking forward to seeing, and, and we are looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Islam is looking forward to the coming of the 12th Imam, and the New Age is also looking forward to a man who is going to restore all things. Interesting similarities, don't you think? I find that very fascinating. There's a book called Game of Gods by Carl Tykrib. If anybody have never heard of Carl Tykrib, I'd suggest you get familiar with him. He's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, he is a Canadian Christian researcher who's been attending all these global events around the world where they are celebrating this coming one. Burning Man is a famous one in the United States where religions from all over the world come together to celebrate and to try and move the world towards this new faith, this new one world religion. He testifies to the blending of Christ into Antichrist as the effort of the new age. Now, I've referred to before that science fiction film, The Matrix, and the one. Do you notice that? Who was Morpheus to find? He was to find the one, remember? Capital O-N-E. Who was the one in that series, in that movie? Who was the one? What was his role? What was he going to do? Save the world. He was going to save the world. And what was his name? Neo. What does Neo mean? New man. It means new man. The devil certainly loves to have himself represented in Hollywood, don't you think? He does it in an incredible way. Modern translations of the Bible have followed suit to replace the normal pronouns referring to Christ with capital letters. The word one is interestingly capitalised everywhere when referring to Jesus in the New King James Version, the NIV, the New Living Translation, the Good News Bible and the American Standard Version. Who are the modern translations promoting when they use pronouns referring to Jesus? and replacing it as one, capital O-N-E. Who are they referring to? Is it another Jesus? Luke 10, 16, the word despiseth him is changed to rejects the one, capital O-N-E. Luke 12, 5, him is changed to the one, capital O-N-E. Matthew 13, 37, 
He is again changed to the one, capital O-N-E, capital T, the one. It's the beginning of a sentence, so that's fair enough. Capital T for the and the one, okay? John 4.25, he changed to one, capital O and then the N-E. John 6.46, he again changed to one and I'd be here all day if I actually went through all of them. Dr. Douglas Grothius, in his book Unmasking the New Age, warned this, saying, one must, the one, capital O-N-E, must move from the avant-garde fringe to the very heart and mind of society. The whole society must be brought into harmony with the one as the new consciousness produces the new age. You can see there's an effort of Satan within the world in order to bring everybody together to this one, to, this, to, to worship and to look for this Antichrist who will come. Matthew 19:17 says this, And he said unto him, What callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Modern translations took the opportunity to capitalise one in this passage. But it's not the only place that the occult has slipped in their subtleties of Satan into modern translations. Um, there is none good. They say in this text, they say, there is none good but one, capital O-N-E, and that is the one, capital O-N-E, referring to God. But if they will enter into life, or it goes on that way. Many times when modern Christians, have you ever done that? I remember when I was a new Christian. And I'm writing and I'm writing things about the Lord or whatever, whether it's by pen or, or typing it in, I capitalise he. You ever done that? Yeah, we've all done that, haven't we? Where'd that come from? Unconsciously and unwittingly, what we're actually doing is giving acknowledgement to Antichrist. Because never in the Bible is that capitalised, unless it's at the beginning of a sentence or it's at the beginning of a quotation. The only time the word he, the pronoun referring to Christ, is ever capitalised is the beginning of a sentence, which it should be, and the beginning of a quotation, which it should be. You notice that the, the, the Bible doesn't have quotation marks. So to know a quote begins, it always begins with a capital letter on that first word. That's when the quote begins. That's your quotation mark. He and him are always capitalised in modern versions when referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this man as... As, as Antichrist, yet they see him as the saviour. Gordon Lewis, a Christian apologist and cult expert who refers to the word game of the new age and he says how their words have subtly slipped into modern versions of the Bible. Respecting this new age word game, he says, they make the Bible endorse that which, is right, which its writers emphatically oppose. In Mark 2.15, the name Jesus is removed and replaced with the capitalised pronoun he in the New King James Version and the NIV. The New American Standard Bible changes Jesus to him, capital H, in Mark 10.52. The New King James Version changes the kingdom of God and his righteousness to his kingdom, capital H, and his righteousness, capital H, in Matthew 6.33. The same occurs in Revelation 21.4 when it won't be God who wipes away every tear but he who wipes away every tear. 
In 1 Timothy 3.16, Galatians 1.15, Matthew 22.32, God is changed to He, capital H, E in the New International Version, the New Living Translation, the Good News Bible, the ESV, the NCV and so on. But so many of the passages when Jesus is confused with the New Age and the occultic one whom the world waits, we don't have the time to get into. The way, well this is interesting, this is fascinating. Buddhism refers to itself as the way, capital W. Buddhism does that. Shintoism also refers to the way of the gods with a capital W, capital W. Taoism or Taoism is a Chinese religion and it literally is translated as way, capital W or path. Hinduism refers to the way of the majority of the people of India as also the way, capital W. Occultist Alice Bailey writes of ancient Gnosticism's path of initiation which is called the way, again, capital W. Interesting. Do you remember how Christianity was originally referred to in the book of Acts? Referred to as the way, isn't it? Is it ever capitalised? Never capitalised. It's never capitalised. It's never capitalised. Yet, whether you're reading Acts 9-2, Acts 19-9, Acts 19-23, the word way is capitalised in the New King James Version, the NIV, the NLT, the Good News Bible, the ESV, the ISV, the ASV, the NCV, the RSV, the NRSV and the rest of the alphabet soup. Occultists have long believed that the fallen angel and, and Jesus are one and the same. Uh. Isaiah chapter 14, turn there. Middle of your Bibles and turn right. It's the first major book of the Bible, of the prophets. First major book of the prophets and chapter 14 is dealing with a particular individual whose name only appears here in this text and it's in verse 12. In verse 12. Now, if I can give this to... Who's got good eyes? You got it? All right, so it's just verse 12 there. All right? Okay. I'll read what it says here. You read what it says there. So the text says in Isaiah fourteen twelve, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? It's the only time in the Bible where the word Lucifer appears. And interestingly, in the Hebrew, the word is halal. And it's the only time in the Hebrew Bible where the word halal appears. Okay. But rather than actually have it translated with the name Lucifer, they gave the meaning of the name. Marie, you want to read that? What does it say there? How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So did you get that? The, the Lucifer in modern translations, now whether you're reading the NIV, the Good News Bible, the NASB, 
or even the New King James, which has removed the word Lucifer from the, in the notes. It deleted in the notes. It tells you in the notes the word shouldn't be Lucifer. It should be morning star. Morning star or, or shining star or day star. Now, that's not so bad. Well, you'd think it's not so bad. It just leaves a little bit of confusion. The problem comes, though, when your desire is to find out who this morning star is that fell from heaven. Who is he? King James Version says that it's Lucifer. But my translation actually says that it's morning star. So you do what they request you to do in the NIV. It tells you to go to a particular reference. Do you have the reference there? What's one of the references? No? Okay. So in the NIV and in the other, in, in the NIV, the Good News Bible and the NASB, in their study Bibles, it assumes that you might want to know the identity of who it is that fell from heaven. So they provide you the cross references that you need. And the first cross reference is 2 Peter 1.19, which reads this in the NIV. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's in the NIV. Now, we still don't know who's this morning star. So again, in the NIV, they're generous enough to give you another cross-reference. So that way you may trace this through. And the cross-reference they take you to is Revelation twenty-two sixteen. And this is what Revelation 22.16 says in the NIV. Remember, your desire is to identify who this morning star is. Revelation 22.16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. We just say that the passage in Isaiah 14, this one that fell from heaven, Is Jesus? That's exactly what the NIV and the Good News Bible and the NASB are telling you. They are one and the same. And they follow perfectly Helena Blavatsky's belief that Christ and Satan are one and the same. And she has promoted that for years. Alice Bailey believes the same thing. And she actually refers to this passage in the book of Isaiah. Interestingly, Don't you think that's incredible? Is it another Jesus that the modern translations are promoting? What about another spirit? Another spirit. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, and if you receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might bear with him. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Yeah, you know that that passage, you understand that passage in um, Isaiah 14, in there is the five I wills of Satan, yeah? He'll raise himself above the most high. That's where that comes from. 1 John chapter 4. It says this, it says, Believe, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone into the world. 
Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. There are at least three elements respecting Jesus that need to be admitted with regards to this text. The first is that Jesus is the Saviour that was promised to come bodily into the world in the Old Testament. Secondly, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who would give his own flesh as a ransom for many and would do so vicariously. What do I mean vicariously? In place of, in place of us. He died for us. He died for us. Thirdly, that we confess that we are saved and justified through him by faith, through in him and through his blood. Yet the modern translations have denied all of this. They deny the truth of these things and demonstrate to us all that they are not of the Spirit of God, but of the Spirit of Antichrist. What spirit then do these modern translations have? The Spirit of Antichrist. They deny first and foremost that God has come in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, in our Bible, in the Bible. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The NIV says, he appeared in the flesh. In the New Living Translation, Christ was revealed in a human body. The Good News Bible, he appeared in human form. The ESV, he was manifested in the flesh. The ISV, in the flesh, he was revealed to sight. The ASV, he who was manifest in the flesh. It's the only one that actually translates things uh, in a way that doesn't make any sense grammatically. But the only, there's only one text that... There's one text that says he. There's one text that says he. There's one text that says who in the Greek, right, that they've discovered. The vast majority of them says God was manifest in the flesh, right? But there's one text that says he. There's one text that says who. There's no text that says he who. Right. He who was manifest in the flesh, American Standard Version. He was shown to us in a human body, the NCV, the RSV. He was manifest in the flesh, the NRSV. He was revealed in the flesh. The King James Version of the Bible, God was manifest in the flesh. The Geneva Bible, which was before the King James, God was manifest in the flesh. Tyndale's Version, before the Geneva Bible, God was showed in the flesh. Giovanni Diodati, because I speak Italian. Idio è stato manifesto in carne. Idio means God. God was manifest in the... I occasionally do that because I can speak Italian. So I thought, I'm going to check the old version of the Italian and see if it says the same as the KJV. And it does. And it does. But wait, there's more. He's removed as Lord. Continually we see references of Lord being removed in modern versions. Matthew three fifty one. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Lord removed. Modern translations. Mark nine twenty four. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The word Lord removed in the modern translations. Luke 9.57, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Again, Lord deleted. 
Luke 22:31 and the Lord said Simon Simon behold Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat and the Lord said removed in modern translations Romans 6:11 likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord our Lord is deleted in the modern translations 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The text in modern translation says the second man is from heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Always bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus. And he, said, uh, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. One of the most famous passages of all, the thief on the cross. It's the, it's the one passage that we use to justify that works are not required for salvation. The one passage where that thief couldn't come down from the cross and do good works in order to earn his salvation. The one passage in the Bible that he testifies to Christ as Lord, which is the only thing that gives us salvation. We recognize him for who he is. Lord is dropped in modern translations. They've actually changed a couple of things around in order to make it work. But it basically says, he said unto him, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. So they do what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. They change the comma. They put the comma over, over here. They shift the name Jesus over there to, and they take out the word Lord in order to make it make sense. This is that famous passage. Just as 1 Corinthians 12.3 tells us that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And just as the world in that day that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, in Philippians 2.11, modern translations have removed that confession from the mouth of the thief on the cross. Removed from worship. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The NASV and the RSV removed and they worshipped him. They simply says, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The removal that God was manifest, the removal of the reference to him as Lord, the removal of worship of him in some translations is enough on their own to demonstrate what spirit the modern translations are of, but it doesn't stop. The denial that Jesus Christ died for us, for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. For us is removed in modern translations. The Christ is just sacrificed. First Peter 4.1 For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. For us removed. For as much as Christ has suffered in the flesh. That's all it says. It doesn't say for us. You want to understand why modern Christians today are so confused with respect to the purpose of salvation? You want to understand why Christians don't see that Jesus actually died for us? Because their translations don't say that. They've been removed in more than enough places that make us doubt. Oh, they say, oh yeah, but it appears over here and it appears over here. What's your problem? 
Mate, I want it to appear everywhere God put it. Is that a problem? That's all. I want it to be everywhere God had put it. I don't want it removed here, 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 here. I don't want the confusion. Denial that Jesus, that salvation is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 9.42, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were cast into the sea. In me is deleted in modern translations. One shall offend one of these little ones that believe. Believe what? John 6.47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. On me is removed in the footnotes of the New King James Version, removed entirely in the NIV, the NASB, the NLT, the Good News Bible, the SV, the ASV, the NCV, all of them. One of the clearest passages in the Bible, coming directly from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, is removed. (laughs) Just removed. The New Age teaches exactly the same doctrine. Anything that you choose to believe is true for you and you're going to be eternally happy. They're not of the Spirit of God, but of the Spirit of the Antichrist. And so too are the versions of the Bible that agree with them. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Modern translations For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Of Christ is deleted Galatians 3.17 And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law in Christ is removed in the footnotes of the New King James Bible, the foot then removed entirely in all those other versions I mentioned before. The list of them will be on the website. I had to go through specifically every version. That's why the ones I've only listed the ones that I've listed because they're the only ones that I checked. Is that fair enough? it's not necessarily remember the purpose of satan is to create confusion not unanimity okay so not every version is going to be exactly the same some of them are going to leave it in some of them are going to delete it okay so i've gone through these i think it was about 10 different versions of the bible and i've put only those ones in there and i don't want to waste time reading through all of them so you'll see them online galatians 4 7 Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Through Christ is removed in the footnotes of the New King James Version, removed entirely in the NIV, the Good News Bible, and those others. They've changed through God in the NASB, ESV, ISV, ASV, NRSV. They've changed it completely to an heir of God through God. An heir of God through God. Right, okay. Right. Galatians 6.15 For in Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. For in Christ is removed entirely in those versions. Another gospel, the last point this morning. 2 Corinthians 11.4 For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached or if you receive another spirit which you have not received or another gospel which you have not accepted you might well bear with him let me ask you a question is salvation uh, difficult or is it simple simple isn't it it's simple 
Well, not according to the modern translations. Matthew 7, 13 to 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The New King James Version, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. The ESV, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Matthew 10.24 And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? The New King James Version says, How hard is it for those that have riches to enter into the kingdom of God? The ESV simply says, children, how difficult it is to enter into the kingdom of God. For them, the trust in riches. Why? Because it's our trust. It's where we place our faith. It's where we place our confidence. If we have our place and our trust in our wealth and in our money, we don't have it in God. If we have it in our money, then we cannot enter into life because our trust is in our wealth. It's not in the Lord for them that trust in riches. What about for them that have riches? Well, that disqualifies quite a number of people. And if you want to compare us to the third world, we have riches, all of us. Even the poorest among you has riches. And then how do you qualify? It's impossible, hard for them that have riches to enter the kingdom. So what do you have to do in the New King James Version? You've got to do some extra work. You've got to do some good things. You've got to do work. The New King James Version, the King James Version says, are saved. The New King James says, are being saved. What? So salvation is a process? You go from a works-based tradition within these Bibles, all of them, to the King James Bible, which tells you that you are saved. You want to know why people think that you can lose your salvation? You don't do enough good works. You don't do enough good deeds. Saved by works, belief or obedience. We wonder why so many Christians believe this. John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The New Living Translation, anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life. The Bad News Bible, whoever disobeys the Son will not have life. The ESV Whoever does not obey the Son, the ISV, but the one who disobeys the Son, ditto for ASV, NCV, NRSV, RSV. Romans 11.32 For God hath cluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. The New King James Bible says, For God hath committed them all to disobedience. You've got to obey if you want to have eternal life, beloved. The NIV, disobedience. The NLT, disobedience. The Good News Bible, disobedience. The ESV, disobedience. ISV, disobedience. ASV, disobedience. RSV, disobedience. NRSV, all of those ones are the same and the unbelief is changed to disobedience. Unbelief or obedience, disobedience. Hebrews 3.18 And to whom swear he that they should not enter his rest but to them that believe not, believe not. 
in KJV says, and to whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. Obey. The same in the NIV. The same in the NLT. Disobeyed, rebelled, disobedient, disobeyed. Disobeyed. You got it? Are you getting a picture that the modern translations are a different gospel? Modern translations are a different gospel. Why? Because they are trusting you in your works. You have to work. The Bible doesn't tell that. It speaks about belief. Hebrews 4.6. I'm nearly done. (laughs) Hebrews 4.6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Every modern translation, including the New King James Version, changes unbelief to disobedience disobedience they entered not in because of disobedience can you understand why so many people believe that salvation is temporary that salvation is not necessarily guaranteed can you understand that you understand why it's so hard to drum it into the people's heads logically when their version of the bible continually speaks about obedience and disobedience Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Modern translations, same example of disobedience. Disobedience. Is it patience or endurance? Luke 21.18 says, In your your patience possess ye your souls. Good News Bible says, Stand firm. And you will save yourselves. The ESV says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Romans 5.4 says, and patience, experience and experience, hope. The NKJV says, and perseverance, character and character, hope. Perseverance, again, work. NIV, perseverance. NLT, endurance. The same with the Good News Bible, the ESV, the ISV. ASV says, steadfastness steadfastness it's all up to you not patience what's the difference between patience and perseverance perseverance is an effort patience is waiting and patiently patiently waiting hebrews 10 36 for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of god you might receive the promise the new king james version says that you have need of endurance the niv perseverance the nlt patient endurance might as well get both of them out of the way the esv endurance is it faith or is it faithfulness are you guys getting the picture of the subtleties here it's only a word here and it's only a word there but what do they change they change the doctrines what have they told us time and time and time again with regards to all these new versions no fundamental doctrine has been changed what have we seen so far today All the fundamental doctrines have been changed. They change them by a word here and the word there. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pave tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier elements of the law, judgment, mercy and faith. NIV changes that to faithfulness. What's the difference? Get the difference? ESV the same, ISV the same. Some delete the word faith altogether. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. The New King James Version says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The NIV follows suit. It is faithfulness that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit, not faith, according to modern translations. Is this the same gospel? Many years ago, I sent a letter to the most conservative Bible college in Victoria because in that Bible college that was traditionally using the King James Version of the Bible only had members of the board that used the New King James Version of the Bible. It had teachers using the New King James Version of the Bible, both in their churches as well as, well, to a limiting degree, I would say, within the, the college. Maybe not. Maybe they weren't teaching out of it because they are strictly KJV after all. The problem, however, is when you've got ministers and board members who are reading the New King James Version of the Bible and seeing that now salvation is a process and seeing that obedience is what needs to be held onto rather than simply believe, that speak about faithfulness rather than simply faith, you can't help thinking that they're going to be teaching the students that are going to be coming out of that Bible college something different. So I sent a letter and I warned and I spoke about it and I said, you need to remove these men from those positions. I was studying at that Bible college for a certain amount of time and then decided to pull out. They believed that the New King James was translated out of the same foundation text of the King James Bible. Again, willful ignorance where they would not do their own research. The New King James Version is not translated from the same text as the King James Version of the Bible. It's not. They assumed that it is and therefore they employed it and used it and defended it. Beloved, modern versions of the Bible are another gospel. We hold to this book, we hold it because it is a perfect, pure, consistent gospel. It doesn't stutter, it doesn't contradict itself, it is perfect and pure all the way through. Now I ask you a last question. What's going to be your final authority? What's it going to be? You see, ultimately we're going to have to choose a final authority. Is it you? I don't know. I tried it being me. I thought I would be a really good final authority because I'm never wrong. Was that sarcasm again? I'm sorry. I have been wrong more times than I can possibly ever imagine and possibly that I'd ever want to recount. If I don't have a final authority outside of myself, I have no hope. And if I'm going to be trusting in one of 400 different versions or, or all of them or none of them or I've got to retranslate everything the way I think it's right, where am I, where's my faith again? Where's my final authority again? We don't have the ability to know the truth outside of the truth. The truth is the Bible that God had promised to preserve. He promised that he would preserve his word from this generation forever. He doesn't He's not disqualified because he doesn't speak English. Does God speak English? All of a sudden, the one that invented language doesn't speak English for some reason. 
He can give us the word of God in any language of the world should he choose to. And now we are in the last days of this world. The most common tongue in the world is the English language. And yet we are supposed to say that this language of all languages should be suffered with 450 different versions of what he said. Where's your final authority? Where's your faith? Where's your confidence? Now, that was the eighth message. Right, so that's 7.5 and down, down to 8. The next one, we're going to be moving to a completely positive one on the eighth message and you're going to see some characteristics of this book that you might have never seen before you're going to be seeing how it is has a built-in dictionary i'm going to be demonstrating to you also that it is musical that it has rhythm it has beat to it that it is enables you to be able to memorize this version nobody no other bible has been memorized but the king james version has been memorized You're going to be seeing these word links and how they come together so perfectly well. You're going to see how a child can wade into this and still enjoy the King James Version of the Bible, yet it would be the greatest depth from the deepest thinking theologian in the world. And they would still never be able to plummet its depths. It is an incredible book and you will never, ever, ever outgrow it. If you're using the New King James Version, you're going to outgrow it you're going to outgrow it. I suggest you force yourself and use it as the doorstop that it is because it's not a Bible and nor is any of the other versions. It might upset you, I'm sorry, but we do have a bin on the way out so you can drop it in there. And we've got some other, we've got some King James versions that you can use. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you, Father, for these things and opening our eyes. We know, dear Lord, that these things are sometimes difficult to swallow. And yet, dear Father, at the same time, we cannot deny that these changes are made. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that you would keep us in the wonderful simplicity that is in Christ, that you would bless us, bless our time together, and bless us for the remainder of this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.